Hello, everybody. It is great to be here one more time today. My name is Gary Fowler, and I am the CEO, President, and Co-Founder of GSD Get You Done Venture Studios, a premier AI and quantum venture studio located in the heart, yes, the heart of Silicon Valley, Palo Alto. I'm a serial entrepreneur with 17 startups under my belt and two unicorns on the original management team of Click Software, which was sold to Salesforce and also EVA.AI. Love AI and quantum computing. And I love meeting some of the most incredible people around the world who have some uh, direct influence on tech, uh, polo, you name it, sports, but incredible people making a dent in the universe. And with that, I'd like to introduce my guest, Fred Mannix. Fred is the Executive VP of Investment Management at Accelerate. He is the top polo player in Canada, ranked number 86 in the world, and has done an incredible job with Accelerate, founded with a mission to democratize alternative investments by offering institutional caliber hedge fund and private equity strategy in low-cost, liquid, easy-use ETF. So with that, I'd like to bring Fred on board. Hi, Fred. Hey, Gary. Thanks a lot for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you here. So I got a question for you. You know, I did a little bit of research. So, you know, you were have had an amazing career in polo. How in the world does somebody from Calgary get involved in polo to begin with? Like, I would think hockey, that would be it. But what happens one day you flip the switch and said, I want to do something different? Well, it's like most things. Uh, young boys, they want to follow their father. And I was lucky enough, my dad played uh, in the winters down in Palm Springs, California, at the Eldorado Polo Club. So would uproot the family from January to April. And I had access to the horses and the facilities and the professionals. So skipped out on winter here in Calgary and uh, headed down south every every year. And, uh, you know, practice makes perfect. The more I practice, the better I got. Okay, so question for you. What's the difference from Palm Springs and Wellington? Why do people migrate to Wellington? What's the secret sauce about that? Well, I think Wellington geographically is uh, very close to the center of the universe being New York City. However, New York City, January through April is not super attractive outside. So you have a lot of, uh, you know, wealthy, affluent people that want to get out of New York for the and Massachusetts, Boston's for the winter. And they head down to really uh, a playground for horses. Wellington is the highest uh, concentration within a 10 square mile radius anywhere in North America during the winter season for dressage, jumping and polo. And it's, uh, you know, it's a really beautiful place. I mean, uh, I haven't heard too many people who, who don't like going to Florida during the winter. It's, it's a fun place to be. And, uh, you know, it's attractive for businesses there today. Um, you know, it's got a lot of momentum behind it, South Florida. Now, I agree. So got a question for you. Facundo Pierres, what's the difference between the number 50 player and somebody like Facundo Pierres? Is it luck? Is it skill? I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name right, but I, I, I've seen it a few times. You know, Facundo is a legend of the game, uh, best player in the game here today. And, you know, it's not luck and it's uh, is talent. Talent certainly helps, but uh, dedication. Um, you know, his father was a champion, Gonzalo Pierres, 10-goaler, many years, played with Peter Brandt amongst uh, others and uh, Kerry Packer, big patrons that were able to, you know, buy the horses and organize the team correctly. And so he's the son with uh, two older brothers, I believe, uh, Nico and, and Gonzalito, and they're both 10 goalers as well. And so if you can imagine uh, a polo family and the expertise that accumulates in that family over uh, generations, 
he's been lucky enough to enjoy, you know, the beautiful facilities that they have at Ellerstina, but also, uh, you know, his dedication and hard work, you know, Jim, uh, really understanding the game, working with the best and the brightest minds. Hector Guerrero is a, a champion coach that he's worked with for many years. Memo Grisita was the coach for many years. And so, uh, you know, the ascent to the top is not a straight line, uh, but he's been able to get there through a lot of timing, uh, you know, good timing, lots of hard work, and obviously having the facilities and the backing of people behind him to go out there and, you know, really – prove on the polo field that he's, you know, extremely well-mounted, uh, got the great breeding organization and uh, obviously doing things properly. So I got a question for you. So, you know, you're really busy with your company with Accelerate, but yet when I looked at the rankings, you're ranked number 86 in the world today. Is that true? That could be. I don't take uh, a look at the rankings too often, but that could be about right. Okay. So number 86, how in the world, Fred, do you have the time? to do your company, to do a, uh, as a uh, executive VP of the company and to do Polo. How in the world can you find the time for both? Well, actually, it's, uh, it's a good question. I was actually in uh, the UK in 2017, and I played with a gentleman, Mr. Eduardo Carmignac, and he had me onto his Gold Cup team. And unfortunately, he couldn't make one of the meetings because he had a board meeting in France that day for Carmignac Investments. And being European-based, probably not too many of our viewers recognize that name, but they run about 70 billion euros and the largest uh, mutual fund provider in Europe. And what struck me is how calm he was that he wasn't going to make the game, even though he puts a significant amount of uh, capital and expense into the season. And so I got talking with him and I said, you know, like, I want to follow in your footsteps to be, uh, you know, obviously doing as well as he is. And he said, well, you got to get into finance. And I'd always been trading my own family capital. So after that, I hit the books, uh, obtained my CIM, which here in Canada allows you to trade capital on a discretionary basis. And I joined Accelerate. And, um, you know, even though I'm playing uh, at the highest level here in Polo, um, you know, I'm looking beyond sport. And uh, I really do enjoy following the capital markets and, uh, you know, meeting with, uh, you know, investment advisor teams and portfolio managers and understanding their investment philosophy. Like, what are they doing in a rising rate environment? Um so I certainly hope they're not holding long duration bonds, but, you know, some of these guys are through a mandate and we try and provide strategies to them to, you know, help lower volatility and reduce risks in a diversified portfolio. So for me, I'm, uh, you know, I got a big battery. I, I love horses. I love the breeding aspect of it. And uh, I think, you know, in life, it's really what you put in is what you're going to get out and there's really no shortcuts. So, you know, I'm full of energy and, and ready for the challenges ahead. And, you know, the balance has been good. I think in the last couple of years, just people have realized you can get a lot of things done. You don't have to be sitting in the cubicle. And, uh, you know, I'm proof of that. That's amazing. So I have a question for it. You. you played polo with uh, Prince William and Prince Charles. So I was doing a little research. Are they any good? Like, really? Prince Charles was pretty good in his day. Unfortunately, when I played with him uh, quite a few years ago in England, you know, he'd been, uh, you know, like, Father time catches up to all of us. Mm -hmm. And so he was slowing down. Uh, you can tell that, you know, Prince uh, William has been given the riot act. Like, don't break your neck here. Uh, you're mm -hmm. going to be the king one day. So you better play like you're going to be the king one day and not take any unnecessary risks. And, you know, Prince Harry, on the other hand, uh, as we all know, he realized probably that's not going to be a seat for him. So he's a little bit more wild on the field, uh, a little bit more um, capable, I would say, physically. Uh, but mentally much sharper and uh, just, you know, like everything in life, if you're not close to the edge, then you're probably not pushing hard enough. 
And I love that. Not close to the edge, you're not pushing hard enough. That's a great, I love that. Okay, so you played polo with them. You've gone down through. You went to, why did you go to FAU, by the way? Was it because of the weather? You got addicted to this place or what? So if anyone's been to Boca Raton, there used to be Royal Palm Polo there. And a very mm-hmm. uh, prominent family, the Oxley family, owned that property. And uh, just through a, a friend of a friend, I got talking to Mr. John Oxley. And he said, I want you to be playing at my polo club here. We have the U.S. Open in 2002. And I said, oh, John, I'm in Texas uh, going to school at West Texas A&M. And he said, well, we're going to change that. And I, I didn't think much of it, but the next day I got a call from the admissions uh, team there at FAU and said, we're working on your application and uh, <laughs> we want you to answer these questions. So John made it so, and uh, you know, I have only uh, thanks for him and the family for doing so, because that was a great move. It got me, you know, right close to the action there for the U.S. Open. And, uh, you know, once you start doing things at the highest level, there's really no turning back. How good, you know, I, I know the event that, uh, and I really appreciate, appreciated the gracious invitation, but how good is it for networking? I mean, I feel like the events now that I've been to, it's like some of the most amazing people on the planet like yourself are there. I mean, do, I mean, obviously, at some point you want to do business with people that you like. How important is polo in terms of business? How much does it help? Well, for me, it's been critical. And uh, what I've done. De- uh, discovered, um, you know, th- through running my strategy standard wealth is, you know, it's targeted at the ultra high net worth individual and the ultra high net worth individual has usually incumbents in place managing their capital. And so what I'm trying to do is really develop a relationship with these uh, individuals and understand, you know, what's their goals, what's their objectives and have them, you know, understand me. I mean, very rarely in life are you going to do business with somebody you don't know and that you don't like. And so polo for me provides a venue to really share something where I have expertise and uh, provide a a beautiful day for them. And at the same time, I often put one of my team members to watch the game with this prospect and and just talk a little bit about like who I am and what I'm doing and get them, you know, socialized to the idea of, hey, this guy plays polo, but he also. I love that. That's great. So you can warm them up. That's a little bit, a little bit. And, you know, you do have a captive audience there for about an hour and a half. And then, mm-hmm. as you know, after the game, the parties are quite good. So the mm-hmm. networking effect is strong in the polo community. No, the parties are incredible, actually, over the top, I would say, <laughs> <laughs> over the top. So, you know, you go down through it um, and, you know, it's funny because it's kind of like, you know, a lot of people don't understand polo. I mean, you know, you, so you talk about uh, 10 goals, but how what's the ranking what, when you hit the top? What is that? What do you say? 10 goals is it what 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 is number one so very similar to golf handicaps so that anybody can play together and since it's a pro-am game polo requires a handicap from minus two so a beginner all the way up to a master 10 goals and those aggregate of four players they add up to the tournament that you're going to play in so if it's 20 goals you might have you know three sixes and an amateur who's two goals and that will put a handicap limit on it so that the other uh, pro-am teams can also have a comparable team of handicap and skill to play against because it's no fun if somebody just builds the best team they can and goes out there and drugs everyone because it's not a pro game it's an amateur game and uh, so the amateur is actually the most important player on the field because he helps organize all the professional players logistics infrastructure and those sorts of things and uh, to get the 10 goals, there's very few in the world. I think there's only like six in the world today. And that requires tremendous dedication, being supremely well-mounted, 
the backing of your family because you're traveling all over the world and uh, you got to have that talent uh, kind of naturally. Interesting. So uh, when I watch the polo, how, I mean, those mallets got to hurt. I got to tell you, I don't know about you, but man, those things are swinging around. They hurt. And then you see the ball and they crack it. And sometimes it hits them. I mean, is it hurt that much? I mean, it's, it looks to me like it's incredibly painful. I mean, like, well, yeah. I mean, you don't want to take a mallet to the head. That's for sure. But that's why we wear those helmets. Uh, the ball is a compressed plastic or the arm. I see like the, I mean, the arm or anything else. Cause you're, you know, you got the, and the horses are incredible. They're jumping around. They're so excited. Right. <laughs> so the animals are supreme athletes and uh, you know, they, they're hard to train. It takes about five years to train a polo pony um, and it's in gradual stages. So uh you're right the game is you know fast um the ball is hard and the stick is hard but that's why we wear helmets and boots and knee pads and those sorts of things um but you're right you don't want to get in the way of that ball well i mean i think it could i think it could seriously hurt you i you know the uh some of the events that i've gone to i've seen some people look like they were pretty <laughs> they got hit and it didn't look like it was any fun. So, yeah, it's incredible. It's not a um, an easy game. People think, well, it's kind of like this elite game and you're just having fun. It's for, you know, Prince Charles. But that's not the way it is. It's a really, really difficult game. And you got to, you're right, have the right kind of athlete, but also have the right kind of horses, right? And they seem, what's the best horse? What kind of mentality would the best horse have, Fred? So think of it, think of it as polo a little bit about like race car driving. And if you have the fastest race car, like we've seen in Formula One, those drivers dominate the constructors championships with, you know, a little less effort and I'm being close to the limit than the other cars. Same idea in polo. If you have a supreme animal that you're riding, that animal is going to stop quicker. It's going to be more responsive. It's going to be uh, faster and it's going to have more stamina and why does that matter that means reactionary wise you can be quicker to the ball and if you're quicker to the ball you have more time to hit it and if you have more time to hit it you're more likely to hit it well and on defense if you're you know have a supreme animal over your competitors you're going to be better positioned in the center of the field if you make a mistake you can catch up so all these sorts of things start adding up and they're like little differences on the field um, you know the, the supreme animal on the field will be much better than the average animal on the field. So um, what do you look for? Do you, is there like uh, grit with a, with a horse? You know, is it the heart of the horse? Does that matter? Does a relationship, do you have a relationship with these horses? Can you feel them? Do you get to a point where, you know, it's like this synergy between you and the horse, then the horse really understands what you want before you even ask for it. Does that happen? Yeah. No, there's absolutely synergies. And um, there's really three classes of horses. I mean, you have stallions. So those will be like intact males. And then you have gelded uh, males. So they'll be, you know, obviously not able to breed. And then you have mares. And they all have three different kind of distinct personalities. The mares are much easier to train, more wanting to learn, and a little bit softer and fine boned. So you'll find them to be like kind of quick, agile, athletic uh, animals. The geldings um, often are a little bit like um, I would call cold or like a little bit frozen to emotion, and but they're like work horses. I mean, they are always the same kind of like uh, blocks uh, of the puzzle. And then the stallions, they have a lot of character because they're programmed 
to cover mares in the spring and, and you know provide offspring uh, going forward. So they're a little bit harder to control. They're a little bit uh, stockier because they have a lot more testosterone going through the body and they'll have a lot more character to them. And those animals, if you can you know harness that energy and that character, they're, they're by far supreme uh, yeah. athletes on the field. Are they unpredictable or are they predictable? I mean, because you would, I remember growing up as a kid when we had stallions, they could be a little wild sometimes, actually. Yeah, I, I think it's two parts. They're absolute terrors in the barn. Mm -hmm. you know, they just want to cause ruckus and, uh, you know, they got their minds on other things. Mm -hmm. At the actual field, inside the field, the horses are very locked in. Like they have some uh, cerebral capacity to understand like they're in a match and they understand they're around other horses and the energy of it. So all the horses on the field are pretty focused, um, but a completely different uh, kind of energy at the barn when you know things are more casual. And then, you know, do you develop a relationship with a horse? Have you felt like, um, you know I, know, I know with some of the pets and some of the ponies that I had as a kid, you'd actually develop a relationship. Do you get to the point where, you know, they're, they're you know, like a pet, they're like a companion with them. Do you get to that point or is it just about winning the polo? Well, I, I think it's not as clear cut as that they can be your pet because the cues that they can give you are much smaller in nature. Like they'll be more centered around like eyes, the way the eyes are forming and the contact and mm -hmm. especially the ears, like ears pinned back will be like, hey, that horse is mad with you or it's about to bite you or they might be flickering back and forth or they might be shoot, shooting straight at you, showing like attention. Um, I find the easiest way to really like understand the mood and the energy of the horse is to be on top and actually riding. And um, that gives you a better indication or best indication, in my opinion, of, you know, where are we in the kind of training regime or mental space of the horse? Um, you know, it's a complex uh, mix of visual cues and kind of like intu intuitive cues that you're picking up on. Well, you must get, yeah, to your level of playing polo, you have to feel it, right? You feel it. You don't even have to think about it. You feel it. So let's get down through, you know, so how do your skills on the polo field, how did you move those over to accelerate? What kind of characteristics? Because one is, you know, you got to want to get stuff done, right? You got to like be totally focused. But how do those skills translate over to accelerate financial technologies? And talk about some of the things that you're working on and, and uh, some of the projects for my audience. Right on. So I think the first thing that you can take out of, uh, you know, playing any sport at a high level is that it requires dedication. So are you willing to get up early, go to the gym, put the time in practice? Are you open mentally to a mentorship type of relationship or a coach and stealing values and ideas and tactics? And I've been very coachable my whole life. And so I think that's probably one of my competitive advantages is that I've been able to work with mentors that know exactly what they're doing and have my best interests at heart. And so when I think about how that translates over to Accelerate, um, I'm following a, a very special man here, uh, Julian Kamachko. He's our CEO and, and portfolio manager, and he's an easy guy to support because cerebrally, he's got it going here. And mm -hmm. uh, you don't have to spend very much time with him to understand easy guy to follow. So the team atmosphere of everyone having their role within the team, I completely understand. And uh, I don't feel the need to be the captain here at Accelerate because we have somebody in the position that's, you know, very easy to follow. 
Now, when you think about, you know, building a team, everyone's got to have, you know, specific parts that they're adding to because mm-hmm. you know, redundancy in a team is not really value add until it's actually needed. But mm-hmm. as a startup, as you know, in venture capital, you don't have the luxury of having redundant positions. you got to be wearing, you know, multiple hats. And, you know, I'm a very good example of that. Here at Accelerate, I'm running the standard wealth strategy. So monitoring our positions, running the fundamental analysis, understanding, you know, the market sentiment. And at the same time, we're out there, you know, meeting with clients, uh, trying to understand how our five ETFs fit into a diversified portfolio. And, you know, those clients usually are portfolio managers and investment advisors with like books of business of 200 million and more. So, you know, they're also masters uh, of their craft. And, uh, you know, you got to be sharp and providing value add to them on day one or, you know, actually minute one when you get in front of them because, you know, they're taking the time out of their day to meet with you. So that the way that we're interacting there, it's it's the same in the, you know on a team on the sports field. You don't want to unnecessarily slow the team down. You want to be providing value add right on minute one, and I think that's what we're trying to do here at Accelerate is you know really provide value to investors however we can. So I like that a minute one. So who? So you say portfolio managers. My the audience we have for the show is wide. You know, from Africa to Indonesia, Malaysia, Australia, South America, I mean, all over. What You know, so if they're out there and they're not familiar with uh, Accelerate, you know, how to, how can they work with you? What kind of things are you interested in, in uh, that they may have? So what exactly would you want to say from them? Well, I think, you know, to our, our listeners out there today, if you think about your own uh, portfolio, so liquid assets that you may have in the market, you can either own like, you know, a share of Tesla today, you know, it's trading around 800 US dollars, or you can own a bond that's issued by, uh, you know, Ford Motor Company, and it'll pay you a coupon. We don't do any of that. We don't do stocks or bonds. What we do here at Accelerate is we offer hedge fund and private equity like strategies but we package them so that anybody could access them. So they're exchange traded. These are called exchange traded funds and they trade as strategies daily on the Toronto Stock Exchange. So just like any other security that trades on the Toronto Stock Exchange, our strategies trade on the Toronto Stock Exchange. And the beautiful thing about our strategies is that you can right size your investments. So for example, we have a Bitcoin ETF and for around like four US dollars, you can get one share of our Bitcoin ETF. You don't have to buy the whole Bitcoin because right now Bitcoin is trading around thirty thousand dollars. So the barriers to entry for investors have been lowered. Oh, I love that. That's that's fantastic. That opens up a wide, wide market. So can any individual come in and and invest or how does it work? Do they? That, can that's they- exactly where we're going, Gary, because, you know, these strategies usually are have you know historically been reserved for only accredited investors. So investors with five million more in assets. And what we've done is we've completely done away with that by packaging it in an ETF. So our strategies are issued via prospectus and anybody that has a brokerage account can buy our strategies uh, through their brokerage account uh, as long as the market is open. And we provide that intraday liquidity and we really have just built a a better investment vehicle for investors to access. Well, I love that. I love that. You know, so that that does truly make it easier. And when you're looking at investing, are there other areas you're interested in investing in? Are there companies out there or or, uh, opportunities out there you're looking uh, to invest in? 
Absolutely. And, you know, Gary, I know you're a, an expert in the venture capital space. And so, you know, I also have my eye on the venture capital space. Um, you know, I've placed some capital with really management teams and young entrepreneurs that I think are going to be successful. And it might not be successful in this venture, but I'm sure, Gary, you've, you've come across, you know, management teams where you're like, okay, it might not be this iteration or, or what we're, you know, envisioning today that they will be successful with, mm -hmm. but they just got it. So when you're parking capital with, you know, people uh, over, a, you know, multiple different uh, projects in a long period of time, I think that's probably a, a strategy that, uh, you know, you don't take too much concentration risk. And at the same time, you develop some great relationships in the business community. So I've been deploying capital like that uh, across, you know, a, a few private companies. And the next opportunity where I'm deploying capital is in an NFT fund that accelerates launching here at the end of May. Mm -hmm. And that NFT fund is going to give investors access to a diversified portfolio of NFTs. And uh, well, really I love that. that's great. You know, I'm you know, it's, it's funny. I was at a uh, party uh, down in Miami, actually, you know, with you also. But I was at another party down in Miami. And it was an NFT party. And it's a holy grail, right? How do people invest? Because they don't know what the hell. There's so many NFTs. <laughs> yeah, know? exactly. So and that's how do you gonna... invest? And you need somebody like yourself, Fred, that, that, you know, your team that gets it to be able to invest because there's too much fluff out there, not enough stuff if you don't, you know, follow directly. Exactly. And that's, you know, where our expertise is going to shine through. Last year, Gary, there's five on the investment management team here at Accelerate. And we put together a little bit of capital into the NFT market to understand two things critical path of how to take fiat currency and turn it into NFT ownership. And also second, which I think is even more important, custody of assets, because nobody wants to have risk of fraud or theft. And so what we've done is we figured 100%. out. Fred, that's the, you know, I got to tell you, that's one of the reasons I didn't get into Bitcoin earlier, because I was really nervous. I didn't understand the security risks enough and I didn't have time to focus on it. So it wasn't until I got a Coinbase account a few years ago that I got into it, which was, you know, that was my way of learning. Right. But that's, you don't want to learn the hard way. The hard way is not a good way. <laughs> no, it's not a good way. These are Bitcoin or you know, cryptocurrencies. You're right. It's so you're the custodian. You become no, the custodian. We're not the custodian. We work with a company called Tetra trust and that's yeah. all they do. So we're going to, you know, minimize that risk best we can through a institutional quality custodial relationship. And the third component, which I think really like triangulates the strategy is, you know, our initial investment has performed extremely well. And what we've learned is that we want to basically floor sweep these offerings. So we have, you know, a position with the Mutinate Yacht Club and, uh, you know, that's performed well because we bought at the floor and we're not taking, it's basically market beta risk. We're not taking speculative risk on a certain NFT. What we're betting on is the collection and the, and the founders and the vision going forward for those projects. And really we want to participate in the most liquid, highly sought after NFT projects out there and provide that investor access to that diversified portfolio. No, that's great. Well, you want to distribute risk. So how do people, so let's say they want to do it. They love what they've heard today. How do they actually, so they go to their brokerage account and what do they look for? How do they find you know, your investments? How do they so get so our five ETFs are exchange traded. So if you go to the Accelerate website, we have our fund fact sheets there, accelerateshares.com, along with uh, you know the, the ticker symbol. So you can type it into your brokerage account. 
the NFT fund is going to be a GPLP structure. So um, that'll require a term sheet and it's only for accredited investors, sadly. But, um, you know, for those that are interested, you can track me down through uh, the Accelerate website. And uh, yeah, I think, you know, this is what I, I envision Web3 being a more and more stable part of the economy going forward. I think it's just in its first iteration and, you know, these NFTs, their utility is still being discovered, uh, but the projects and the amount of resources that are being put into the space is extraordinary. And we're just at the, I think, tipping point where you're going to see more institutional adoption and more retail adoption. Um, I don't see this space going away. No, you're right. And, you know, it was funny. In, in uh, November, December, I had my first metaverse company. And uh, before Meta, uh, you know, Facebook became Meta. And it was interesting because I had read about the metaverse back in the 90s. There was a publication about the metaverse then. And, of course, being an AR, VR, and those kind of things. Um, you look at where we're going. I mean, we're, we're you know, democratizing opportunities around the world. And at the same time, tokenization and being part of the metaverse, people that embrace it, it's kind of like e-commerce was back in the 1998, 97. I remember, Fred, people said to me, uh, people aren't going to buy things online. Amazon's just for books. Seriously. I started the first e-commerce consulting company. And they said, it's not going to work. It's never going to happen. I said, well, I think you're wrong. And a friend of mine, P. Hong Chen, who started Broad Vision and initial investment at Siebel, uh, Sina, etc. He said, Gary, it's a $30 billion cottage industry. And look where we are today, right? It's And that's exactly where we are with the Web 3.0, the metaverse. It's just, we're at the beginning of this incredible opportunity. But Fred, they need people like you that are there that can give them guidance and tell them, you know, with your team, exactly what kind of uh, places they should do the investment. So, you know, my hat's off to you. So um, closing thoughts, Fred, and uh, how can people reach you? Well, I'm Gary, appreciate you giving me the opportunity to get together. And I think the easiest way to get hold of me is I'm on LinkedIn or you can catch me on the Accelerate uh, website. I think the most fun place to probably meet up with me and be on the polo field, though. <laughs> I agree 100%. You have the best parties I've ever seen in my life. That was uh, incredible. And thanks again for inviting me. To my audience out there, I want to thank you one more time for joining GSD Presents Silicon Valley AI and Tech. And I'm your host, Gary Fowler. We love artificial intelligence and quantum computing. You can reach me at Gary at GSDVS.com. Stay happy, stay safe, and stay healthy. I'll be back again 30, Thursday for another exciting episode. Thanks, everybody, and take care. Thanks, Fred. Thank you.